Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 24b, Aeneid Book 6, Lines 847 to 899. In this episode, you will learn the Roman mission statement, and you will feel all the feels for Marcellus. Excudent alii spirantia malius aira, cred equidem, vi vos ducent de marmore voltus, orabunt causas melius, caelique meatus, describent radi et surgentia sidera dicent. Tu regerim perio populos romane memento, hae tiberunt artes, paci quem ponera morem, parcera subjectis et debellare superbos. Sic pateran quises, at quaec mirantibus adit, aspicut insignis spoliis marcellus opimis, ingreditur, victorque viros super eminet omnes, hic rem romanam magno turbante tumultu sistet eques, sternet poenos scalumque rebellem, tertia quarma patri suspendet capta quirino, at quic aeneas una nam quire videbat, Egregium forma juvenet fulgentibus armis, sed frons laeta par et disjecto lumina vultu. Quis pater ille virum qui sic comitatur eantem? Filius, an magna de stirpe nepotum, qui strepitus circa comitum, quantin star in ipso, sed nox atra caput tristi circum volat umbra. Tum pater anquises lacrimis ingressus abortis. O natin gentem luctum ne quaere tuorum, ostendent teris hunc tantum fatanec ultra esse sinent. Nimium vobis romana propago visa potens superi propri haec si dona fuessent. Quantos ille virum magna mawortis ad urbem campus aget gemitus. Vel quae tiberine videbis funera, Cum tumulum praeter labera recentem, nec puer iliaca quisquam de gente latinos in tantum spet halatavos nec ramula quondam, ulo se tantum telus iactabit alumno, heu pietas, heu prisca fides invictaque bello dextera, non illi se quisquim pune tulisset obvius armato, seu compedes iret in hostem, Seu spumantis equi foderet calcaribus armos, heu miserande puer, si qua fat aspera rumpas, tu marcellus eris, manibus date lilia plenis, purpureo spargam flores animamque nepotis, his salta cumulem donis et fungar inani munera. Sic tota passem regione vagantur, iris in campis latis ad quomnia lustrant, Incendit quanimum famae venientis amore, exim bella viro memorat quae dende gerenda, laurentesque ducat populos urbemque latini, 
et quo quemque modo fugiat que ferat que laborem, sunt geminae somni portae, quar alter affertur cornea, qua veris facilis datur exitus umbris, altera candenti perfecta nitens elefanto, sed falsat caelum mitunt in somnia manes. His ibitum natan quises unaque sibilam prosequitur dictis portaque mitit eburna, ille viam secat ad nave socioque revisit. Others will hammer more gently breathing bronzes, I believe truly. They will draw living faces from marble, they will plead cases better, and will describe the movements of the heavens with the rod, and will tell of the rising stars. You, Roman, remember to rule the nations with imperium, these will be your arts, and to impose the custom for peace, to spare the conquered and subdue the proud. Thus spoke Father Anchises, and he adds these for the ones marveling. Look how Marcellus proceeds, distinguished with the spolia opima, and as victor, how he surpasses all men. This man, an equestrian, will cause the Roman state to stand while a great crowd is in an uproar. He will lay low the Phoenicians and rebel Gaul, and will hang up for Father Quirinus the third set of weapons captured. And here Aeneas, for he saw, going along, a young man outstanding in beauty and with shining weapons, but whose brow was too little cheerful and eyes in a downcast expression. Who, father, is that one who thus accompanies the man going? A son or someone from the great lineage of descendants? What a noise of companions around him! How great the likeness in the man himself! But black night flies around his head with a sorrowful shade. Then father Anchises, with tears sprung up, began, O son, do not seek the great grief of your people. The fates will only show this man to the earth and will not permit him to exist further. The Roman race would have seemed too powerful to you, gods above, if these gifts had been their own. How many groans of men will that field of Mars drive to the great city? Or what funerals will you see, Tiber, when you glide past the fresh burial mound? Neither will any boy from the Ilian people lift up Latin grandfathers into so much with his hope. Nor will the Romulan land ever boast so much in any native son. Alas, Pietas! Alas, ancient faithfulness, and right hand unconquered in war. No one would have gone up against that one with impunity, face to face against him armed, either when he went as a foot soldier into the enemy or dug the sides of a foaming horse with spurs. Alas, boy to be pitied, if in any way you could break the harsh fates, you will be Marcellus. With full hands give lilies. Let me sprinkle purple flowers and honor the soul of the descendant with these gifts at least and let me perform the empty service. Thus they roam here and there in the whole region, in the broad fields of mist, and survey everything, which after Anchises conducted his son through each and every thing and inflamed his mind with love of the coming fame, next he recalls the wars which must be waged then by the man, and he explains the Laurentian peoples in the city of Latinus, and the way in which he must both flee and endure each burden. There are twin gates of sleep, one of which is said to be of horn, by which an easy exit is given to true shades. The other is finished shining in gleaming ivory, but the souls of the dead send false dreams to the heavens. With these words then, Anchises escorts his son and the sibyl there together, and sends them out of the ivory gate. That one cuts a path to the ships and revisits his companions. We leap forward a large chunk of lines from the last episode. In the intervening lines, 
Aeneas and the Sibyl finally make it to Anchises, and he presents a line of souls waiting their turn to be reborn. After being in the underworld for a thousand years, they drink from the river Lethe and are able to be reincarnated into the world. From them, Anchises presents a parade of future Romans. Aeneas sees his immediate descendants, and then the whole history of the Roman people up to Virgil's present day, including Romulus, Numa, Brutus who overthrew Tarquinius and established the Republic Brutus, Camillus, Julius Caesar and Pompey Magnus, and Augustus. Where we pick up the lines, Anchises is giving Aeneas the Roman mission statement, that other people will be better artists and lawyers and astronomers, but the Romans will rule everyone the best. They will force the custom of peace on everyone, they will defeat the proud, and they will spare the conquered, except for Carthage which must be destroyed. In this speech, Anchises calls Aeneas Romane, and although this is anachronistic, Aeneas being a Trojan and Rome not yet existing and whatnot, it also marks a turning point in the narrative. Up to this point, Aeneas has been slowly unmade. He has been self-centered, whiny, impulsive, a bad leader most of the time, and still hanging on to that old Homeric longing for glory. But after his visit to the underworld, the character of Aeneas becomes something different. He accepts his fated responsibility, and he drives inexorably toward his destiny, making him much more Roman in characterization, and also slightly less dynamic and compelling of a character. The end of the Aeneid is very interesting when viewed through the lens of this mission statement. Turnus is arrogant, and Aeneas will humble him, in line with the Roman mission. But when Turnus is defeated and begging for mercy, Aeneas, seeing Pallas's sword belt hanging on him, will violate the whole spare the conquered part of what his dad told him to do by stabbing Turnus as hard as he can. And then the poem ends, leaving us with all kinds of questions. Anchises then turns to point out a specific Roman named Marcus Claudius Marcellus. This will confuse you in a minute because Aeneas will notice another person walking with Marcellus, a young man who is also named Marcus Claudius Marcellus. Understand that even though these two individuals have the exact same name, they are separated by roughly 150 years. Marcellus No. 1, the Elder Marcellus, was an important Roman military leader during the Gallic War of 225 BC and during the Second Punic War. Marcellus gained the most prestigious military award a Roman general could earn, the Spolia Opima. Spolia Opima were the armor and weapons stripped after killing an enemy commander in hand-to-hand -hand single combat. Marcellus earned his for killing the Gallic general king Viridomarus, becoming only the third person in Rome's history to have earned such honors. And then Aeneas notices Marcellus number two, the younger Marcellus. And Aeneas spends five lines and Anchises 18 lines asking about and lamenting the fate of this young man. Born in 42 BC, Marcellus number two was the son of Augustus's sister Octavia and hence Augustus's nephew. This Marcellus was descended from the elder Marcellus through his father's line. Augustus had no sons, and Marcellus was one of his closest relatives. And in 25 BC, Marcellus was married to Augustus's only daughter, and it was generally assumed that he was going to be Augustus's successor. But two years later, at the age of 19, he got sick and died, or maybe was poisoned, depending on what rumors you believe. Thus, Virgil tells us that the fates would only allow him a brief appearance on the earth before taking him back. The story goes that Virgil held a private reading of select books of the Aeneid for Augustus and Octavia, Augustus' sister and Marcellus' mother. And when Virgil got to the Marcellus section of Book 6, Octavia was so overcome with grief from the emotional impact of the lines that she fainted. What this epitaph to Marcellus also allows us to do is to date this section as being composed close to Marcellus' death in 23 BC. 
Additionally, the entire parade of Roman heroes, including this section, builds the thematic focus of the human cost of empire, and we can view Marcellus as foreshadowing some of the youths who will die before their time in the second half of the poem, namely Nissus and Euryalus, Camilla, Turnus, and especially Pallas, whose premature death causes Aeneas's murder of Turnus in the final lines of the poem. So after hearing everything about the future history of the Roman people, Anchises escorts Aeneas and the Sibyl to the exit of the underworld. Virgil tells us that there are two gates, one made of horn that true shades can exit through, and one made of ivory, through which false dreams are sent to the earth. Aeneas leaves through the ivory gate of false dreams, and nobody really knows what this means. It could mean that because he isn't dead, Aeneas isn't a true shade, meaning that he is not able to leave through the horn gate, so he has to leave through the one that he does. But some people read this section as Virgil criticizing the entire Roman future history, that everything Aeneas just heard is a false dream that can't actually happen the way Anchises presents it. Because the dream of the Republic fails, Rome turns on itself in civil war, and only by becoming an empire can it regain any stability. But in doing so, it loses its original purpose and dream. But what we do know is that by passing through this gate, something happens that causes Aeneas to forget everything he experienced in the underworld. In Book 8, Virgil gives an extended ekphrasis describing some new armor that Venus has had made for Aeneas. And on this armor are intricate engravings of the future history of Rome, much of which Aeneas had already been told about by Anchises. But according to Virgil in Book 8, lines 729 to 731, he marvels at such things through the shield of Vulcan, the gift of his parent, and ignorant of things he rejoices in the image, lifting onto his shoulder the reputation and fate of his descendants. Aeneas is amazed at everything he sees engraved on the shield, but he doesn't recognize the future events. So something about his exit from the underworld gave him memory loss, except for a vague driving notion about fulfilling his ultimate destiny. And so he returns to his ships a changed man, but with no specific memory of why. And with that, our exploration of the AP Virgil Latin selections comes to an end. I hope you have enjoyed listening, and that you have learned many, or maybe even all, of the things. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. What will be the distinctly Roman accomplishments according to Anchises? Which of the Elder Marcellus's many accomplishments does Virgil seem to think most worthy of note? What can we learn about the younger Marcellus from Virgil's description of him? Why do Aeneas and the Sibyl depart from the ivory gate of false dreams? How does the rebirthing of souls as it is presented by Virgil connect to the Druidic teachings presented by Caesar? How does the Roman mission statement as presented by Anchises connect with the end of the Aeneid? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete.